0: Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this episode is really, truly from my heart coming to you guys, to my listeners. It's, it's a topic that's really, really important to me and something that really propelled me into making this podcast. And the more and more we're, we're continuing with interviews, more and more guests come on the show... The more I interact with you guys I see that the original message that I wanted to come you know and put out in the world is really something that's very very necessary and that is that this is hard this journey hearing loss learning all about audiology making really big decisions for your child is not an easy topic. It's something that really has to be given weight and really has to be taken seriously. And something that I was noticing throughout my studies and throughout my work was that there was a lot of emphasis and focus on doing the interventions, doing the treatments, getting the hearing aids, programming them, and, you know, many hours of speech therapy or, you know, deciding to do the cochlear implant surgery and then boom, 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 like action, 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 which obviously is fabulous and very necessary. And there wasn't quite as much urgency and, and attention given almost at all to the emotional processing of the family to the news of the hearing loss, um, specifically to the parents who may have really been totally caught off guard by this diagnosis or not. You know, whatever it is that the experience of the parents is, it wasn't being properly addressed with. And it's really the perspective that I wanted to bring to this, to the All About Audiology project, to this whole community, um, is that we really do need to care for ourselves as parents, where audiologists do really need to take into account the parents' reaction, the parents' readiness, the available resources in, in all the ways that that means, right? Financial and time and emotional attend to the needs that now have presented themselves with this diagnosis and also to the entire process of grieving, of being in denial, of accepting the news, of going into action, of becoming advocates, like this whole journey that twists and turns and winds back and comes back around. It's really something that is, I feel, a very big message, a very big mission for me to make room for that and make space for that, within the community of families who are navigating hearing loss. In episode 31, I interviewed my Mama Manon, who is a French teacher and gives parenting workshops, where her entire approach is coming from addressing our children and connecting with our children from a body level, from how do our bodies feel in different circumstances? Like, what is that gnawing in my stomach? Or that, you know, Uh, fluttering in my chest like am I listening to those cues am I paying attention to my body and then also making room to connect with what our child's bodily experience is right like if they're flailing around if they're unable to like regulate their bodies and all of that so if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 31 I highly recommend you go back and and then in episode 33, I interviewed Dr. Julie Renshaw, and we talked a lot about the experience of the diagnosis um, in the context of like the equipment that we use. So it was quite kind of a technical episode, and something that I'm always trying to do is make a balance with these episodes so that you can really find what it is that you're looking for. And today, I wanted to invite someone I really look up to, someone I've been following on Instagram for a little while, and I just feel like all of her posts and all of her uh, messaging really resonates with what I'm trying to do and she is her name is Colleen Wilkinson her Instagram is trauma-informed Montessori with underscores in between all of those of course there will be links and transcripts on the website as always at all about audiology.com and I just want to invite you to come into this conversation and and think about the word trauma in kind of a different way than You might have thought about it before because sometimes we hear the word trauma and we think it has to be this devastatingly consequential life event, a major event, but the word trauma and how we can think about education and connecting to children and to ourselves in the context of trauma is to realize that trauma is is a way that we are experiencing whatever's happening and that could be something that is a cute big event that is very very upsetting and frightening and and, you know too big to handle but that can also exist that constellation of what's happening with our memory with our body with our limbic system our whole emotionality um, that can that trauma response can happen to things that for one person no big deal and are just everyday life and for another person might really affect them and be difficult to handle so i've learned so so much about trauma just on a personal level you know this is something that's really touched me and helped me through my own stuff that is totally um, unrelated to audiology but then to be able to bring in those frameworks and say hey is a child who is constantly ignored or feels unheard because their communication method is you know constantly breaking down um, is that registering as trauma for them Um, there's educational trauma that we talk about in the interview and generational trauma as well of things that have affected us as adults or when we were children and how that then translates into how we interact with our children or with our patients, or with our students, you know, for that matter. So I really am so grateful to have you as a listener to come on this journey with me. Um, And without further ado, I'm going to welcome Colleen. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you so much for joining us on the All About Audiology podcast. I have been following you on Instagram, and I love, love, love so many of the messages that you're putting out there with trauma-informed Montessori trauma-informed education and parenting and I think that's something that is really becoming very popular people are becoming more attuned to it you know in the good sense of popular um I'd love to hear about your
1: background and how you came into this work so I came to this work um I was a very very young beginner teacher on September 11th and um I had a very uh young pre-K class, and I very quickly learned that I was not at all um, prepared to even help talk them through um, what they were experiencing in, in Fort Worth, Texas at the time. Um, so it wasn't, it, it wasn't immediate. It wasn't that they saw something per, in person, but that the adults were afraid and that there was all these things on the news. And I wasn't prepared for that. I, I didn't know how to help them. And um, so I was just, like, doing my best, (laughs) like so many teachers are. And then as time went on, I I had had a child in my class who'd experienced significant infant trauma. And I started learning about reactive attachment disorder through that family and um, what the outcomes of attachment disorder could be. So, because I was, you know, 26 by that time and really felt like I was wise in the wor- ways of the world, um, I felt uh, able <laughs> to go and become a foster parent. I, I know all about this stuff now, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> and uh, very quickly realized that there was a lot more to it, even than I had experienced as a teacher. So, um, I became a parent who also needed these trauma-informed practices in my home. And so when I started really doing uh, therapeutic parenting and using these trauma-informed practices on a daily basis at home, um, I like to say I don't compartmentalize well. So I just use the same practices at home and I just started using them in my classroom too. Uh, <laughs> is just easier that way? And I saw a transformation in the children in my care and I saw the change in the relationship with the students that I was having um, where we were establishing trust and connection and safety. And um, I began to observe sort of these these changes in them. And then I I learned more about trauma-informed practices um, through the uh, Karen Purvis Child Development Center out of TCU in Fort Worth um, and the Trust-Based Relational Intervention System. and I've sort of grown my practice from there over the last 10 years. Uh, and now I consult with schools all over the U.S. I, uh, I teach a graduate level class at Dominican University of California, and I help teachers both on my Instagram and with through some individual coaching kind of find ways to take these practices into their classroom to the benefit of their children. So it really just started out of a need that I had and, and grew from there.
0: Wow. Okay. So I think what we should do is define some of the terms that you're using. Let's explain, you know, what's, how do, how do we define trauma? What does it mean to have a trauma informed approach for parenting or teaching?
1: Yeah so a trauma that's a really great question a lot of times when people talk about trauma-informed care they think of adverse childhood experiences and that's very very limiting view trauma truly is something that happens to you that creates a reaction in your body right or in your emotional system your nervous system all that stuff and The context of that event is the the most important thing. Does someone help you? Are you ultimately safe? Did you have a web of support to begin with? So what could be trauma for one person isn't necessarily traumatic for another person. What, What is devastating to one person is, could be just, ne- you know, another day to another person. It really is about context of what's happening. So, for example, when people think about like, oh, well, it, we think of trauma at, in, the, in the big sense of like abuse, neglect, and, and of course, obviously those things, I don't wanna minimize those things. However, trauma could also be um, the experience of, of racism, right, over time, that's traumatic the experience of community violence, the experience of a natural disaster. Here in Houston, we got a lot of that with our big flood a few years ago, right? So we have all these other types of trauma that can come into play for children outside of the things that we would all commonly recognize as trauma. So that's what kind of encapsulates trauma, is what happens, and how do you and the people around you react to it? so that and then the when it comes to in terms of trauma informed practices it means different things in different settings so there you can do trauma informed yoga you could do trauma informed mindfulness there's trauma informed therapy there's uh, trauma informed everything <laughs> at this point but really the key piece of it especially for people who work with children is that am i responding to this child from a place of respect from curiosity to find out how to support them effectively? Um, or am I expecting and desiring compliance and obedience um, from children when and instead of seeing the need behind the behavior? If I believe behavior is communication, then I can see, okay, a child is displaying a behavior and that could be, we often talk about it in terms of negative behavior because that's, you know, the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, if you will. But often just as often it might be withdrawn behavior or overly compliant behavior, um, following type behavior those those behaviors are all communication so for for trauma informed practices, what I really want to do is see the need behind that behavior so I can adequately support the child. That's a really big summation, but there there it is is just in a little bubble is what's the need behind the behavior?
0: I think that there's a lot of power in what you're saying of like, let's look at children as people. Hmm. Like, that's a a novel idea. It's a novel concept, right? (laughs) Unfortunately (laughs) that that's some, you know, some way that we actually have to come in and make that clear. But then on the other hand, you do have an, an authority mismatch between adults and children. So how, how do you, you know, not give up, not treat children quote unquote as equals in terms of authority, like of who's in charge of things, but at the same time have respect for them.
1: Yeah. It's an important piece is like, I honor your humanity and I, I set the bubble of boundary and intention around our relationship to make sure you feel safe. Because if, if I, if an adult with zero boundaries also doesn't feel safe to a child, Right because if you're not in control, I will have to be. If, you, if you're not in charge here, I will have to keep myself safe is a common theme for children who've experienced childhood trauma. So it's definitely, you know again, that pendulum swing where we don't wanna to be too authoritarian, too harsh, but nor are we permissive and uh, over-allowing either. There has to be a nice uh, middle ground where I both respect your needs And have good boundaries so just this week
0: I had I was at a parenting lecture I guess it was actually at my daughter's school and it was supposed to be a mother's night where everyone comes and has relaxing get to know each other the other moms in the the class and um, they're like come we're gonna have a fun activity and I totally thought it was gonna be arts and crafts or something and then the activity they brought was a parenting coach And then she, and then she gave us a lecture and I was like, I did not think this is going to be a lecture. And it turns out that I really didn't like a lot of the things she was saying (laughs) and, um, and felt very much that her approach was, you know, you need to lay down the law. You need to be the authority. And in some senses, that's true because you do want to have boundaries, but I did not resonate with her approach. And I think that's like, it's, really powerful to say not everyone i'm going to agree with
1: right absolutely yeah and what works for one person won't work for another you know what i mean like that's we're all trying to find our path as parents aren't we like that's okay
0: so that's one of the biggest messages that i really want to get out first of all to myself and then to all the people who listen which is you're doing just fine whatever it is you're doing and whatever uh, you know thoughts, philosophy approach you have it's it's because you're the parent and you get to
1: decide what's good and you're the one who has the intimate relationship with your child. you know what I mean nobody knows your child better than you. you are the expert on your child, so only you can make the best decision
0: so bringing it into the experience of hearing loss, um, many of the parents listening on the show have a child with a hearing loss diagnosis and there are various moments in that journey that kind of stick out as okay a initial diagnosis that's often a very loaded and difficult experience Um, but then that's like it's really only the beginning of the places that can become really triggering and upsetting Um, having to always explain what's what's with those devices and what's wrong what's wrong with your kid and like being excluded and educational opportunities all the things that then come after that of how do we now handle um, parenting this child. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how parents can use some of these practices and what those are to support themselves as well as while they're supporting their child.
1: Well, I can tell you about specifically a time I did not use these practices um, but with my own child. As I mentioned when we were chatting online, that my daughter has partial hearing loss in one ear. And so she uses an FM system at school. So one of the teachers decided she wasn't gonna use it. And um, she was like, oh no, I'm very loud. And woo, mm, I- <laughs> you just got like a resonation from resonating from every listener. Yeah, I, just, yes. whew, okay. I was just like, I, I it was very, I was, I got hot. Um, (laughs) I was like, this is not about you being loud. I don't care. That's like a hundred percent not helping. You're not helping. So it is, uh, something I've also put into play with adults where I'm like, how can I try to understand the need behind this adult's behavior? But, um, I think a piece that is important for parents is, um, to know when we're triggered, right? And so a a key piece of doing um, trauma-informed practices at home is knowing what what is triggering for you. Um, For me, there have been times when that trigger was, like, I grew up in a very academically motivated household um, where your academic success was um, uh, probably, obviously, this is probably not my parents' intentions at at all. But... In my mind, growing up, this academic success was tied to your place in the family. Our love for you, we're so proud of you, right? So now that I have a child who struggled academically because of multiple issues, she has multiple diagnoses, but partial of, of it was because she couldn't hear for quite a bit of it. So I mean, we we needed, I needed to let go of when is it that I'm feeling triggered because I'm worried that she's not going to be viewed as successful. I'm using air quotes like you can see me, but successful because her academics, right? So that's my, that's my junk. That's my parenting junk that I need to let go of. So I had to do my own work through my own childhood trauma, through my own childhood processing and through my own grief work around what do her diagnoses mean for her, for me, whatever now she's 17 we're kind of on the not the other end of it because it's an ongoing forever obviously that she'll my daughter will need support for probably her whole lifetime but we i'm in a i'm in a different place than i was when she was diagnosed and and i i'm in a different place of of acceptance of understanding that her realities might be different um but they're not uh bad wrong uh, or not valuable, right? They're, they're, her life is perfectly valuable just the way she is. So a lot of trauma-informed practices, both as a parent and for teachers, is doing your own work and figuring out what your junk is about. Um, I also grew up with a um, an military police officer as a father. So I grew up in a like, I say jump, you ask how high on the way up kind of household. Very Again, compliance-driven. So, um, you know, I personally don't enjoy uh, oppositional defiant type behavior. That's a big trigger for me. I have to know that, right, when I'm working with children. And I have to be able to put pause on that and say, oh, in this moment, am I reacting from something that's real or am I reacting from my own triggers, right? So knowing and being able to identify our own junk, our own... Processes are is really important. Another piece is making sure that we're building positive relationship. Um, we, as parents, as educators, as people who work with children, we just are, we get caught up in getting through the day, right? Get your socks, get your shoes. We got to go. Um, brush your hair. We we needed to leave ten minutes ago, right? We're all trying to move through our day, and what happens sometimes is that we don't stop and take the time to make sure we're lighting up when we see that child. Make sure that like our face, our body, our our every action um, says, I love you to that child. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not gonna tell you to hurry up because we gotta go, but maybe the first thing I say isn't, you didn't brush your hair, right? (laughs) Maybe it's like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Let's take your hairbrush in the car as we go. Let's go. We got to do it. It's those little moments when we can choose to connect before we correct and really choose to connect and build relationship that can be really meaningful to our ongoing relationship with that child. That relationship is what is the buffer for when trauma happens. When we have a solid, deep, connected relationship with a child, we become a buffer to trauma, because we can't always predict what trauma is going to happen to a child. We can try our best, but truth be told, we just can't, I can't, I can't pretend like there's never going to be another hurricane in Houston, right? I can't pretend like we're never going to go to a car accident. We're never going to, you know what I mean? There's just, life is going to happen with children, with us. I mean, it's inevitable. Um, But our relationship is the buffer, because that's the web of protection that keeps them from being unsteady in those moments and having that, that person they can turn to, that person who will listen to them. And so that building that relationship, building positive relationship is so helpful. Making sure we're spending time doing things they like. And it goes back a little bit to like, are we overscheduled? Do we need to make sure we're building in downtime in our lives where we're just at home with our children living life together um not going from class to class to class uh to swim to horseback to well like for my child ot pt uh therapy (laughs) therapeutic horseback swim right like (laughs) it's so easy to get so over scheduled but i really um feel like that building relationship piece and scheduling time when we're just being together positive that's the buffer for trauma
0: and I, I attended a course once about um trauma in the medical fields for EMTs and nurses and people with, you know, who are constantly getting this kind of secondhand ICU ICU patients, all those things. And so at the conference the the speaker was saying, uh, what do you think? True or false? If someone has like experiences this all the time on a daily basis, like it's part of their job, they're immune to it. And they don't get that. And um, you know, some people are like, Wait, let's consider that because maybe if you you know, if you keep experiencing this and maybe it's not as affect doesn't affect you anymore, you kind of get like more hardened. But she's like, Here's all the data. Nope. <laughs> it just keeps compounding. Yeah, it just it keeps keeps compounding and and actually those things like build on each other. And that's why there's such a high burnout rate with those kind of professions. And I think that can also apply to Uh, to parenting because, you know, if you keep having the same um, difficult interaction without any um, resolution and it doesn't get to become resolved, then it kind of just keeps building and building like this big hurricane. (laughs) hurricane.
1: And I think that's really important for for those of us who have kids with disabilities, um, learning differences, because it definitely can feel like one thing after another. Like for, for us, hearing loss was a diagnosis that came on top of a autism diagnosis, on top of a chromosomal disorder diagnosis, on top of a PTSD diagnosis. Like, I was just like, man, can this kid catch a break? Like what? Come on, you know, and and there have been diagnoses since then. So it's just, it can feel like we're never getting the resolution there's always something new oh our child has grown a little bit well now we have this xyz problem instead of this now we have to re-go in for new implants new this new fitted for new things it's a constant and now again at that adult end of it so i have spent years learning the iep process right i feel like an iep master well, my kid's about to be a senior in high school. You know what I don't know anything about? SSDI or any of these other like adult programs. So here I am just when I became the master of something back in the, in the newborn stage where I have to learn to navigate new systems with her. So it, it is a constant um, kind of a, a way of thinking, okay, how can I process this new information? How can I process this new information and what can I do to support myself. So it is, again, even for me, what, what helps me with that relationship, support network, right? Other parents who've been there, people like you who are doing this work to support parents, right? Therapists who've, go, who've seen my child for years. We have this continuity of care whenever possible that, that know her, that know us, and that can guide me through my journey and, and guide us through her, helping her through her journey of this experience and, and getting together and feeling that web of support, again, is a buffer, even for us yeah. as the parents. I right?
0: think you hit exactly so. on one of the important points for me because I feel like there's a lack in the way that audiological care is given. I mean, oh, across the board in medical settings, but you know, my experience and expertise comes from audiology. And there's so much support for the child, so much attention and so many appointments and IEPs and all these things that are going for the kid as well they should be. And we should hope that that continues. Absolutely. But the parents, I don't know that there's enough support for parents going through this journey, which is why I started this podcast and why I have the programs that I have because I think there's such a need for that. There's not, there's not a place for that during the appointment. You know, it's, it's really not about you parent. (laughs) It's about your kid. It should be about your kid, but then where are you getting that other support? Are, and are you even acknowledging that that's necessary? And I think that point is something that I went through myself as a, the journey of being a parent. My oldest is five, so this is like pretty recent for me. <laughs> but as she's grown, and then my other two kids as well, I got five, a three, and a two. They're delightful. <laughs> and yeah, as I kept, you know slowly, slowly going through the teeny milestones of you know infancy into pre-K, that's as far as we've gotten so far. But I see so much how it's affected me in reviewing things that happened in my childhood and traumas that I had never even addressed or acknowledged. And it has been a very deep growth journey. Like my children, they are, I, that's what I call them, the little growth inducers, because they're going to get in your side and say, nope, you cannot ignore what you have been ignoring. You cannot deny um, what well, you've been denying, because now you have this other person who really relies on you to be present for them. And so I just want to put out very strongly a big recommendation for um, parents to take care of themselves in whatever that means. If that means getting help and get you know starting therapy, if it means getting you know support in your own relationships, and then like how that's then affecting the the parenting relationship. That's something that, you know, a couple of years ago, I would not have been able to say or believed in. And now it's like, hmm, this has changed my life for the better. And I'm a better parent for it, and I believe.
1: Yeah, so. absolutely. I mean, definitely there were times when I just didn't feel supported and, and I, didn't, I didn't know what I needed. And being able to say, hey, you know what I mean? My kid's in a lot of therapy. I should be in therapy. <laughs> and, and that's powerful. You know what I mean? And I, I definitely, I agree. You definitely have to do your own work. And it definitely, I think it starts for me, it started like the first time I heard my mother's voice come out of my mouth and I was like, Oh wait, that is not, (laughs) that's not the parent I envisioned being shoot. Uh, (laughs) How can I make that go away and really having to like evaluate.
0: I love the post that you put up about, um, an escalated parent cannot de-escalate an escalated child. Yeah. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. If you are not in this state of mind to, it's like, calm down. Yeah. (laughs) You hear yourself yelling, calm down. It's like, wait, is this a very
1: valid expectation? stop yelling in the house. And you're like, oh, wait, she yelled across the house. Right,
0: right, 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 right. (laughs) And it's those moments of awareness where we can laugh at ourselves and look at that with kindness and not judgment and say, okay, something needs to, some some of this energy needs to move. Yeah, absolutely. If that means taking a break, if that means uh, just even, you know, I'm very honest with my children, which I think I did not necessarily see growing up. And I will say to them, I do not feel well. I'm not having a good day. I'm upset about something. So they can see, Hey, you actually have emotions too. Huh? And then and I'm, I'm saying to them, this is really not about you right now. And I'm going to go in the other room and I will come
1: back <laughs> You play with your Play-Doh. I'll be, you know, I need five minutes. Yeah. Mommy needs a break. It, yeah. and I think it's great. I think it's, it's healthy modeling, right? Or we, we are human beings who feel a full range of emotions and I'm going to model for you healthy ways of coping with those emotions because you are gonna feel them too. And also we have to help model those healthy coping mechanisms for them. We have to be able to to de-escalate ourselves and get regulated so that we can really truly positively interact with them. And also we have to like, it's a good boundary for them to learn to be like, oh, my mom has emotions. I might need to give her some space right now you know what I mean? That's a healthy thing. I want them to know their whole lives, right? Like that, Hey, my mom has feelings. I should consider them. It's but, okay. But also know?
0: that other people's emotions are not your responsibility. Right. And yeah. Right. And so then it's yeah. like, this is not about you or on you. It's not about I, you. I just yeah.
1: <laughs> need five minutes. And yeah. I think that there's also something really healthy about, about normalizing, apologizing to children. I, you know, multiple times in my Parenting journey. I've had to be like, you know, I didn't handle that the way I wanted to. I, I Apologize I was feeling in the future. I want to do it this, this way if, if you have something you need to say about it I'm happy to hear your words about it even when sometimes she's been like, what are you talking about mom? And I'm like, well, whatever I felt some type of way about it. This is my apology, you know, and 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 Knowing that that came that's okay. I can be i have also a feeling that a a human has called remorse you know so and that's okay too
0: yeah that's so beautiful so um what are some practical tips that you would like to share with our listeners we also have a lot of audiology students um and other professionals teachers of the deaf speech therapists so we kind of have a beautiful community of the uh, all about audiology podcast where kind of both sides of the conversation, which I love, you know, it's not only parents, but it's also the professionals working with the kids. So we're trying to get the whole community together on these topics.
1: I think one of the things that I would recommend for parents and, and for folks working with children is first and foremost, see the person, right? Take the time to see the person. Don't, don't let it become where we're boiled down to, oh, I'm seeing these issues today. This is the problem. This is what I'm working on today. Don't let yourself get caught up in checklists and, and, and the minutiae without seeing the human being. Um, the, the children uh, are important just for who they are and that it's okay to spend the, a few moments or of, a, of an appointment or, a, or hopefully more than a few moments of your day just experiencing joy with them and having a good time with them and making sure that they're having a good time with you. Again, that goes back to building that positive relationship. And I think that it's important that we as professionals, so speaking from an educator point of view and for your your student audience, I think it's really important to try to learn about educational trauma and how we um, as professionals can actually be trauma-inducing for children. If we're not conscientious, um, we can, you know, if we're um, speaking disrespectfully to a child, speaking about a child in front of them, uh, as if they're not there, or, or especially as if they can't hear us, right? Which mm, is problematic. <laughs> and um, and if, if we're really not seeing them for their strengths, Uh, we can really do a lot of damage to their young little emotional selves and we don't want to I know I personally don't want to be a purveyor of emotional trauma so I'm assuming no one working with children wants that so we have to really be conscientious (laughs) of how we do it and again it goes back into that being caught up of like oh I got to see the next person um so I, I need I need want people to slow down and really um be present with children be present yeah it's the best thing to do
0: um there's an artist whose name is Christine Sun Kim. She's deaf and she does a lot of artwork around um ASL and about um deaf identity. She also um sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Yeah. So she had a recent post where she wrote like um why I think my speech therapy was all basically a waste of time and did not help me in my life. And and one of the things is she, like, there's this common thing of ordering food, helping a kid, like, be able to independently order, make an order at McDonald's. And she was like, that is not the ultimate goal of my life. <laughs> and there's just, like, a big conversation around how adults who had experienced some sorts of emotional trauma and educational trauma relating to their disabilities or di- or, I mean, differences, you know, that's also a difficult word. If you're going to, you know, the whole labeling issue of saying, do you have a disability? Is hearing loss, you know, the deaf, is it deaf gain or hearing loss? And it's like, there's so much of that weight that you have this whole like politics that's going on around you. And you're like, I just have this one kid in front of me or multiple kids, but like my children and and how do I care for them? And so it's really hard. Like some parents, you know, they, they're being told from professionals, you have to go this one route. You must hearing aid, you must have a cochlear implant, you must do 17 hours of therapy a week. And, and like that might work for some parents and for some kids, but there's this place where the parent gets to also have an intuition is, do I, do I accept and, and agree with these recommendations or do I also think there might be something
1: else for us? Yeah. Yeah. We made those, we may to make some of those calls, you know, uh, the gold standard in the world sometimes for Autism is like ABA, right? Well, I read from many uh, autistic adults that they felt ABA was traumatic for them. Well, here I am parenting a child who's already experienced childhood trauma. Am I gonna compound that by a potentially ther- traumatic therapeutic in- intervention? Or am I not willing to r- run that risk? I mean, there, and then of course, then we ran into like the same thing, like, Rebecca, my daughter, Rebecca, uh, identifies as autistic. Well, lots of people want to use person first language. Well, she doesn't like person first language. She doesn't, she's not Rebecca with autism. She's autistic. So it's, there's an ever political, right? So how do we, I think you're, I think you're right on target, right? I'm going to tune in to the person in front of me to where they are now. And what they want and what they feel might change, but I'll only know that if I'm in tune with them. And if I, if I have a relationship with them where they can trust that they can tell me, oh, I don't like this, I do like that. I feel comfortable with this, I don't feel comfortable with that. And, and I wanna have those positive relationships with yeah.
0: children. And it's very difficult to know what the line is. Like, are they, oh, they just don't wanna wear their hearing aids? So I'm just gonna, okay, they don't want to or actually, you know, they've been wearing them for eight hours and now they're super tired and they're fatigued and they don't want to listen anymore. Maybe that, maybe yeah. that's an okay time to say, okay, let's take a break and put these
1: away, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Is it sensory overwhelm, right? Sometimes it might feel better to not have that. Yeah.
0: So, right. yeah. so it, it's very hard to know what your you know, are you doing the right thing? And we, of course, all parents and educators constantly question themselves. But I think that is, that's where the magic is. Because if you're questioning, then you're really trying to process it and look at it. Instead of just like, I'm right, I know,
1: do what I said. <laughs> do what I say, right? It is about that, like, what is this? Is there a, is there a bigger picture here? Is there something more to this um, and, and that I am not always gonna be the holder of the answers just because I'm the parent or the adult or the expert in this one thing, but that actually this child might be able to tell me something more about what they need, either verbally, non-verbally, behaviorally, there's something they're communicating if I'm tuned into the relationship.
0: There also with hearing devices, cochlear implants, hearing aids, FM systems, sometimes they're too loud sometimes they're too tinny and like the high frequencies are too high. Sometimes the mold in the ear is like irritating. Like there can actually be issues where the child is trying to tell you something, but they don't maybe have the language to do so or or the knowledge to do so. So they're crying and they're pulling their hearing aids out. That's not necessarily, um, they're rejecting the device. Like maybe you need to get more tuning, go back to your audiologist. So
1: like, yeah, Yeah, for Rebecca, eventually, like, finally, she was like, I'm sick of carrying around this FM system all day, and then uh, it's like, she felt it was kind of othering, because she had to, like, hand it to the teacher, and then get it back, and so it felt very, like, in front of her peers that she was different, and so finally, eventually, we said, look, if you really don't want to wear it, and you just want to do preferential seating, and we'll have written into your iep that you can have written tasks like they need to write down the instructions need to be written down for you and that's written into your iep instead of this fm system we'll do it that way we'll get around what works for you for a teenager i mean she had a lot of of say in that because she was able finally to communicate because she did that exact same thing like they're like oh she doesn't she's leaving them behind and she's you know oh she lost it i'm like okay what is the what are you really trying to tell us here just say it just tell me what you need and finally she was able to just tell us like i don't want to do this anymore it feels too public you know so there's always that that possibility that if we're really looking for the need behind the behavior that we can we can tweak something or we can make a minor change we can still get their needs met without, um, needing to double down and be the power structure of like, do what I say, you must comply. Like, I need you to do this because, and sometimes for a lot of children, they just need to know the why, right? They need to know, tell me how this is helping me. Tell me what this I'm supposed to be getting out of this. And then that can help them really, okay, get invested and have buy-in from them. If they don't understand why they're doing it, maybe and that's a partially my own personality too if i don't understand why i'm doing something i'm not gonna buy in like i need to understand the big picture right, that's when they get I find older. the same is yeah. true for children when they
0: get a little older because we're not gonna you know just just thinking about the people who are like uh you want me to ask my baby <laughs> no but you right, can still sure. pay attention But even
1: as young as like even so like i'm a pre-k teacher I do this with pre-Kers all the time. Four-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, they need to know why, 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 right? Because they want to know. And look, sometimes the answer is this is what's happening. This is why I need you to do it. And now you need to do it. Here's the boundary. I can make it more comfortable for you, but I can we can do it this way, but we're going to speech, or we're going to this, or we're doing, you know, we're going to wear the thing. But there, there, there is a piece of, again, just like that humanization and respect when we're willing to explain what's happening. Um, I was thinking about something you said a second ago about um, like the secondary trauma. Like when we're in the hospital, they have these child life specialists, right? And I think child life specialists must experience like I don't know they must experience so much secondary trauma because of course their whole job is to come in and explain procedures to children so um that they know like so like we my daughter got an mri and the lady's like coming in and showing her pictures this is what's going to happen this is what it sounds like and i'm thinking this this woman is does this with all the children in the hospital well some of the children don't you know don't leave the hospital right so she's going in and working every day with children who may are not going to make it. Right? And I can't I can't imagine that job. I don't want that job because it must be so hard on the heart. But that secondary trauma, there's so many professions of people like you said, that medical burnout, teacher burnout. I'm sure I mean in your work you see like hard cases, right? that are heartbreaking. And you just have to, 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 you know, like they say that you want us to compartmentalize and that's not the way secondary trauma works, but we, we try to do it anyway (laughs) as best we can. Um, but I think that it's just that piece of like, but the piece of, for the child life specialist coming in and explaining and walking through was so respectful. Um, for for a child in the hospital and it is definitely what I try to do at school and I know it's what we can try to do for children and sometimes you know I know you said um, this is really I really went a long way around this but what I was trying to say was <laughs> I know we wouldn't explain everything to a baby but sometimes explaining it to a baby even though they don't understand what we're saying helps us process what's happening and helps us begin to explain something we might have to tell our child later so like in the adoption world we we say if like when you adopt a baby you should tell them they're adopted from the time they're in i'm doing baby arms but in babes in arms so that you can practice saying it because you're going to get your it's going to get garbled in your mouth things that are hard to tell our children are hard to say, right? So sometimes it helps if we can say it like, hey, preverbal baby, I'm gonna mess this up so bad right now. So let me just explain it as best I can. And then by the time they're really um, able to understand, you've kind of smoothed out your story a little bit, right? You've smoothed out like this, hey, this traumatic thing happened when you were born, or hey, the reason you have this implant is because, and, and you figured out how you feel about it and how you want to present it to them in a healthy way. So there might be something to be said for saying it to your baby, even if they don't understand.
0: <laughs> and I love that, first of all. And second, I think it would do wonders for the interpersonal relationships of the other adults caring for this baby your spouse or your mother or whoever else is involved. And, and, being able to not have things be taboo because here we are talking about them already. And then that, and, and actually the, I think that might I'm, I'm like, you know, I just took your, your scenario and I, I carried it all the way forward. and I'm thinking about like um, many cases where parents, two people who are both caring for the same child might not have the same reaction, probably will not have the same emotional response and um, practically, might not agree on intervention options, and we see that we see that a lot. And you have one who's trying to convince the other; the other is full of fear, one is full of guilt, one is like they're all just in their own story, and then the kid is in the middle. So I think that even that communication pattern can really do some some good because then you're actually articulating what it is that you're feeling, and the other parent could hear that and say. Is that what you're feeling? I wasn't aware of that. Now that you've just told the, you know, it could and open And sometimes
1: up. you don't even know what you're feeling until you're like trying to say it out loud or like trying to communicate like what this thing is happening. And then all of a sudden you're telling the story and it, you can tell by like what part you get stuck on or like what part you get choked up on. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this was the, this is the thing for me. It's this piece that, that is really And then you're like having your own aha moments and then you can share those things. And then by the time you've kind of put together a a joint narrative, if there's two parents or, you know, a family narrative where you've been able to communicate like, Hey, you know, grandparents, this is how we're saying this to our child. We're speaking in, you know, positive language or whatever. And, and let us talk through it with you because you felt good about it for your own processing. So I think it's
0: a healthy, yeah. There's so many awesome moms who are um, on Instagram and otherwise, you know, blogging about this journey. And um, one of them was, was saying how, you know, oh, my baby won't hear me sing was like such a heavy difficulty for her to to handle. And then she has the baby put their hand on her throat and they could feel the vibration. She said, I sing to my baby, you know, they can still feel it. They still see my connection to them and whether or not they are you know receiving the auditory vibrations through their ear that's you know that's different you know that's their difference and not the um yeah
1: you know, not, that's that the it, val- no. not that the singing doesn't have value to them just because they can't hear it yeah it's it's a really it's really powerful to figure out again like what is the the trigger for you right what is it For her, it's the singing. For somebody else, they would have like, I never even thought of that. Who cares, right? Like it is whatever. It's so individual. We have to figure out our own stuff. Colleen, I'm so grateful for you
0: coming and sharing all of your experience and your wisdom about trauma-informed parenting, educating. And um, if people want to learn more about you or your work, where can they find you?
1: So um, I'm on Instagram um, every day (laughs) at trauma-informed (laughs) all day trauma-informed Montessori um I'm also you can visit my website which is www.colleenwilkinson.com I do training all across the U.S. um, and online uh, and some online courses so there's a number of ways to tap into the work I'm doing and I would love to hear from any of your listeners
0: Wow. Thank you so much to Colleen Wilkinson from Trauma-Informed Montessori. I would really, really like to hear what you have to say about this episode, how this landed for you. Um, If you feel like there is a place to have this conversation together with audiology and together with other special needs parenting content, I really, truly believe in and I would love to hear if this is something you want to hear more about from me. So absolutely reach out on Instagram at All About Audiology Podcast um, through the website and you are so, so welcome to join the Facebook group and post about it there so we can all learn from each other and support one another because that's, you know, that's what it's there for and that's where the magic happens. So thank you so much for, for, for everything, for being a listener, for commenting, for sending me messages because this truly, truly is a labor of love and i cannot wait to learn from you and hear how you felt about this and thank you for giving me the space to also process so many things and learn from so many uh, incredible people for you know for my own growth and yeah it's it, it does get a little emotional so this is kind of an emotional laden episode But fear not, because coming up very soon is episode 35, which is All About Tinnitus with Dr. Kelly Dyson. It is all edited and ready to go. So so I will publish that very, very soon. And I am waiting for your responses to today's real heart-centered episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology podcast.